Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Ron. I'm Rob. And this is our review of Army of the Dead, starring... Dave Batista, Ella Purnell, Omari Hardwick, Anna de la Reguera, Theo Rossi, Matthias Schweighofer, Nora Arizender, Hiroyuki Sonata, Garrett Delahunt, Raul Castillo, Huma Kireshi, Tig Notaro, and Richard Citrone. Directed by Zack Snyder. Released in 2021 on a budget estimated to be between 70 and $90 million. It's only grossed 780000 at the box office, but... More importantly than that, it's been a big hit for Netflix and has already spawned one prequel with Matthias Schweighofer's character Ludwig Dieter and an animated prequel currently in development. The big roll of the dice for Netflix has seemed to pay off. Now, for those of you who are regular listeners, you will probably recognize the dulcet tones of Rob Antiquera, but for those of you who missed out on the epic battleship review from our archives, it's literally like a month ago, go check it out. Uh, let's talk to the let's talk to the man himself. Rob, what is your boggle? <laughs> Love that the demolition man reference. Uh, yes, I am Rob. Uh, I was on the battleship episode. I have a lot of fun doing that. I am the host, one of the hosts of the Action Drunkies, an action podcast, as well as a permanent panel member on the House That Screams Horror Podcast. Yeah, that's uh, really all I got to say about myself. <laughs> Well, that's the only uh, that's the only interesting thing about me. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree, but um, I'm glad we got to get you on this show before Army of the Dead ended up on House That Screams. So we get you fresh, straight off of Netflix and ready to go, hopefully, because I know we've both been talking around this movie since it came out, but not talking directly about this movie because we wanted to save it for the show. And now yes. it's time to go ahead and bulldoze our way through this so Zack snyder he seems to be the name on everyone's lips he seems to be one of the most controversial people in hollywood who isn't a sex pest he's got a clear big cult following online thanks to the snyder cut of justice league and various other things that he mostly does not have control over uh so rob how do you feel about uh, Zack snyder and his movies I'm actually uh, a fan of Snyder and his movies, which uh, has not gotten me a lot of love from people who don't like his movies. I've uh, actually been told uh, I deserve to be gassed for liking Batman versus Superman. <laughs> wow. so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, there's that. But yeah, I um, I actually really liked Zach as a filmmaker. I was a, a big fan of his feature film debut, The Dawn of the Dead remake, uh, which we actually covered on uh, The House That Screams and... Uh, it, it turned into a war zone a little bit in there because uh, one of our uh, panel members on there was not a fan of Zack Snyder. So, yeah, that, that's how it went down. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I like Zack stuff. I like I like also 300 as well as uh, his DC properties that, that he had adapted. Uh, the controversial, if if you will, like it's just amazing to think that movies are about Superman and Batman would be controversial. Also, really love his Watchmen. That's probably my favorite of of his movies. Is his Watchmen adaptation? Yeah, yeah. I I, I really I really like Zach Zach's movies. I don't know where all that from both sides of the, of the, the the spectrum. I really don't know either or. Like the 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 
massive love and the massive hate he gets. I mean, I think he's he's a really good director. I, I don't think he's terrible, but uh, like, yeah, it, it, he just his name just seems to bring up so much. Like, you either like extreme love or extreme hate, and it's just like it's like you said, it's like it seems to generate so much controversy for a guy that's just like seems just like a cool dude. You know, like I've seen interviews of him and he's just like, he seems like the most chill dude ever. And it's like, why do people hate him? You know, but it is what it is. You know, somebody's going to, people are going to find whatever they can to hate anybody. I don't get it either, to be honest. I saw his, uh, the Dawn of the Dead, him and James Gunn did at least seven times in the movie theater. I was still in, I was in college when that came out in 2004. And my friend was the manager of the local one screen theater in the small, small town where I went to college. And because I drove like 45 minutes to Campbellsville, which is another small town, but they had a multiplex. I drove like 45 minutes to Campbellsville to see it. I saw it at least once there and I raved about it so much to my friend who was the uh, my roommate, who was the manager of the local theater that he booked it for a week when it was available in second run. And I went literally every day to see it or they would show it at nine o'clock and they would show a different movie at seven thirty. And I went to every like nine o'clock screening I could go to because right. I just enjoyed it that much. And I didn't have to pay to see it. And I could bring in outside food and outside beverages of the adult nature and really have a good old time in, nice, nice. in a beautiful historic theater sitting up in the balcony, which was normally closed off except for if you knew somebody, which I did. So <laughs> I, I, it was a, it was a lot of fun. I'm a, like you, I'm a huge, I'm not a huge Zack Snyder fan, but I'm a big Zack Snyder fan. Yeah. Um, I like a lot of his takes on the DC characters. I'm not super crazy about his Superman, but I enjoy his Batman quite a bit. I really liked the ridiculous four-hour cut of uh, Justice League. Yes, yes. The, me and uh, Mike and uh, 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 also a friend, uh, Daniel Epler, did an episode of that for the Dana Buckley show where we uh, we raved about it. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that one, too, the, that four-hour mad masterpiece, if you can call it that. <laughs> I think it could have been made into two really good movies, but I understand why you know they did yeah. it that way. I think that if we had gotten more of what was in that four-hour cut, like Ray Fisher would be a star right now because he's he's oh, really good. Yeah, he he, he is he he is really good. Uh, I I can see why he was so upset about why why his performance was cut out. You know because it, it he he really just goes all out in that performance and it really, like like Zach said he really is the heart of the movie so they really gutted that we we like on on, the, on that episode we really went into like just the insane changes they made to that movie it's like what did you do like how could you have done this kind of thing you know having watched it it makes no sense why basically all of that was removed because it's such uh, you know my my father's passed away so all that stuff like, with the father and the son around Fisher and the cyborg character really got to me. Why you cut that, I don't know. Yes. I mean, I can I can think of some reasons why you would do that if you were Joss Whedon, but uh, I, I don't want to be sued, so I'm not going to really speculate on those. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I don't want someone to come warbling that ancient whale on my doorstep and then hand me a summons. So... so. <laughs> Agree with you there. <laughs> I, I love the guy. Uh, I'm a big fan of his his work. I think he's a lot smarter than people give him credit for. Yes, 
Uh, he definitely puts way more thought into these movies than I think a lot of people are willing to say. He's dismissed a lot as being like a himbo, like a himbo who makes movies. And I, and I really don't think that's fair. I mean, say what you want to about what everyone is assuming his politics are, what with him wanting to make it that Ayn Rand movie. Mm. But uh, yeah, I, I think he I think he's got a lot. He's a lot more thoughtful than, than a lot of people give him credit for. No, no. Yeah, the, I, I definitely agree with you there. In regards to that Ayn Rand book, I haven't read the book myself, so I can't really say, like, you know, that that seems to be, like, a deal breaker for a lot of people. Like, they find out, you like, the Fountainhead is like, oh, my God, stay away. And it's like, I, I read, the like, the synopsis or whatever, like, the outline of the book for Wikipedia, and I was like, I could kind of see why he would like it. You know, it's about a guy sticking to his creative juices. Can't really tell the book's intentions or whatever, you know, reading it through an outline, because, you know, they just spell it out matter-of-factly. But, I mean, I can see why... Uh, somebody would gravitate to that kind of, you know, story or whatever. Especially Zach, you know, who's had like had to stick to his creative guns, you know, when people were against him about that, you know. But yeah, I, you know, I, I, I don't know how you can hate somebody for liking a book, you know, regardless of how you think about the book, you know, especially the fact that you know it's like, like oh, if you, you know, you like this book, you, you're an asshole. And it's like, you know, Mark Cuban likes that book. As far as I know, Mark Cuban's not an asshole. Mark Cuban's like one of the most awesome dudes ever, you know, and that's one of his favorite books. So it's like, hey, what can you do? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think uh, I think it gets painted with a pretty broad anti-libertarian brush, but I don't necessarily think it's necessarily a libertarian book. I think it's a very, I think it's the kind of book that speaks to dudes who go out and make a whole lot of money by following their vision, like Mark Cuban, like Zack Snyder has, because mm. I mean, he's definitely worth a fortune. I've never read it either, but I, I tried to read some of her other books and they just bored me to tears. So, <laughs> so, so you know, not necessarily for me, but uh, I'm willing to give the man a shot. And speaking of giving him a shot, I think I will go ahead and jump right into the plot summit summary of this movie in question, which is Army of the Dead. There's $200 million in a vault under Las Vegas and Bly Tanaka wants it. There's only one small problem with that. Las Vegas is a walled-off city full of the ravenous living dead, and the government is going to drop a nuke on it in a very short time. Fortunately, mercenary Scott Ward knows his way around a gun, and he's willing to give the job his best shot for a taste of that money, but he's going to need a team. Cue the team-finding montage. Associates Maria and Vander are on board, no question. The helicopter guy Marianne Peters is on board, too, because she hates her life and will do anything to change it. <laughs> Joining the team are Safecracker Dieter, social media influencer and sharpshooter Mikey Guzman, and his sidekick Chambers, and Tanaka's blatantly devious security expert Martin. The next problem is how to get through a wall of shipping containers and get into Vegas itself. Ward's daughter Kate directs them to a coyote named Lily, who ropes corrupt guard Bert into going along for the ride too. Ward and company have their mission. Kate wants to look for a missing friend and refugee Gita, much to Scott's chagrin. The group sneak into Vegas only for Lily to shoot Bert in the, in the leg and tie him up. Turns out they need an offering for the Alphas. Super smart, super fast zombies led by their king and queen. The queen bride zombie shows up and drags Cummings off, and the rest of the team goes skulking through buildings to get to their objective. That leads them through a room full of hibernating zombies and lets Martin do his first evil deed. He redirects the trail and Guzman's sidekick Chambers accidentally wakes up the zombies. A chase through the building ensues, only to climax with Chambers getting overcome by zombies, forcing Guzman to shoot the gas tank she's carrying to blow her up and save the team. Ward and company arrive at the Olympus and head off on their missions. Peters goes to the roof to work on the helicopter. Ward and Kate go turn on the power. Dieter and Vanderhoe go to work on the vault, and Lily and Martin head outside 
to do a quote-unquote perimeter sweep. Turns out they're there on another mission. Martin lures the bride out to the open, shoots her with a bolo, then goes and decapitates her, all part of his plan to create living zombie bioweapons out of the Alpha's magical bite. Killing the queen doesn't endear the, the team to the king, and Zeus the Alpha Zombie gets his own team together to attack the Olympus, kill the interlopers, who have successfully breached the vault to get to the money. Kate takes advantage of this outbreak of Everest to go look for Gita, sneaking away stupidly. Cue zombie mayhem. Martin traps the team in the building to escape with the head, only to discover that Lilith swapped the head out for a cash counting machine, so then he gets mauled to death by a zombie white tiger. Dieter and Vanderhoe get attacked by Zeus, Vanderhoe fighting him to a standstill for a bit, only for reinforcements to come through the walls. Dieter sacrifices himself to save Vanderhoe by locking him in the vault. Ward, Lily, and Guzman are attacked by zombies in the lobby, with Guzman getting overrun and killed, destroying most of the cash in a grenade explosion. Lily and Ward make it to the roof, only to be confronted by the still-living Zeus. Lily's gambit of threatening to kill the bride's severed head allows Ward and Peters to escape, but Lily is killed, and the bride's head goes splat on the sidewalk. Ward gets Marianne to turn back and rescue Kate. Kate finds Gita, but they're both found by Cummings, who has been infected and turned into an alpha zombie himself. Kate kills him, but they get trapped by Zeus and the returning remainders of the previous attack on the Olympus. Ward comes rushing to their aid, throwing us out of bed, and saves them from Zeus in the nick of time. Everyone rushes back to the roof again to board the helicopter, only for Zeus to come running out to leap onto the chopper and fight Ward. Ward kills him, but is bitten in the process, and Peters is accidentally shot. The nuclear warhead hits the city, and Peters crashes the helicopter in the desert, dying in the process. Kate survives, but finds her dying father, who gives her a big wad of cash and tells her to start a new life before he succumbs to his zombie bite and Kate kills him. Hey, remember Vandero? Turns out, a cash vault is almost as good protection from a nuclear blast as a fridge, so he's able to climb out with two big duffel bags full of cash and head to Mexico. However, on the flight, he starts to feel dizzy and his body temperature drops. Uh-oh. He checks himself in the bathroom and discovers that Zeus had bitten him during their brawl, meaning that his trip to Mexico is about to become a trip to Zombieland as credits roll. So, as we talked about a little bit in the introduction, we both have a fondness for Zack Snyder's return to the zombie genre after the 2004 Dawn of the Dead. Is that fair to say? Yes. Okay, so the whole genesis of this flick is it's combining what's essentially Ocean's Eleven with a zombie movie. How does that particular combination kind of work for you? I very much like that very much like that combination of zombie movie heist movie. I thought that was like very like, you know, because zombie movies have been done to death, so it's, you know, you got to do something different. So it's like, yeah, zombie movie mashed with heist movie. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you know, plus, you know, it's Zach, so, it's, you know, he uh, work his magic in there to, to, to make it different. And uh, boy, does he ever. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the movie starts with a cold opening where we've got a newlywed couple leaving Las Vegas and an army, I assume it's the army, uh, convoy leaving Area 51. And the road between those two literally goes through the middle of nowhere. And everyone knows where this is going. But before we kind of get there, we have a fairly long opening segment with these two soldiers basically talking back and forth, trying to guess whatever it is they're carrying. While the newlyweds get up to some, what's a polite term for roadhead? Uh, <laughs> uh, the new, we'll say the newly, it's okay, this is explicit, but uh, we'll say the newlyweds get up to some newlywedded shenanigans. Distract the driver, he crosses the median, and Bob's your uncle. We have a big fiery crash that 
just so happens to involve the payload. So what what did you think about that opening? I like I, I thought it was uh enjoyable, you know, highly mysterious tension. Of course, you know, Zach has to work the that in there the the one thing I like about Zach is that uh, he obviously doesn't take himself seriously at all. You know, like his movies may be serious, but Zach he likes to work. He's like a mischievous kid, you know. He's like the, of course, he would sneak in uh, some some roadhead, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> you know, of course, of course, he will. Like you know, it's like yeah, this is this is you know, years working on um, uh, superhero properties. You know, he has to be clean. You know, uh, it, it's nice to see him get back to the to that dirty stuff, <laughs> you know, if you will, if you could say that. You know, the stuff like you know that you would see in like movies that he made, uh, like like you know, it's, it's straight out of Dawn of the Dead. There's some shit you would have said that is Dawn of the Dead. Uh, I gotta say, so yeah. Um, and and the, the the conversation between the soldiers, uh, I thought I thought it was cool. Like when they're trying to guess what exactly the payload is, I like that stuff. I noticed that uh, one of the one of the actors is uh was um Jimmy Olsen from Batman v Superman. Uh, oh yeah, that's okay. That's yeah. I, I thought I recognized one of them, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah, that was uh Mr. Jimmy Olsen, uh, who uh, people were in a TV about when uh he. Five minutes after his introduction, he catches a bullet to the head. You know, I never knew Jimmy Olsen had that many fans, but whatever. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, yeah, that was that was Jimmy Olsen, and uh, yeah, I like I like all that stuff. I'm a big fan of explosions, and that was a great explosion uh, when the car crashes into the payload and explodes big, and it's like yeah, yeah, I like all that stuff. Yeah, that was a that was a really good explosion, and the two dudes talking kind of set me into the mindset of this is gonna be a movie that's gonna have references to things. Because, like, those two guys talking made me think of the uh, opening to Twilight Zone, the movie, where you've got you've got the two guys, Dan Aykroyd, and yeah. uh, name escapes me. That's dumb of me. Albert Brooks. Yes. Riding in the, the front of the ambulance, kind of just BSing back and forth. Mm-hmm. And then, after the explosion, you've got the thing where the door falls open on the payload, which made me think a little bit of, have you ever seen The Thing from Another World? Mm-hmm. It kind of made me think of when that door from the lab opens and then you get the thing come shambling through the first time you see the thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, like I, full I, body I, shot. Yeah. And I then, know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And then you have the direct parallel to uh, American werewolf in London. Oh yeah. That was a straight reference. And there's a bunch of things that feel like straight references to me. Cause you've got essentially, he took the idea of uh, land of the dead and kind of reversed it. So rather mm-hmm. than having it be a walled city with zombies on the outside, it's zombies on the inside of a walled city and everybody's outside. Uh, you've got lots of nods to like Escape from New York. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of scenes that made me think of those uh, Italian cannibal movies like uh, Cannibal Ferox and those kind of flicks. There's a few things. We'll talk about that when we get there. This movie's got a whole lot of aliens. It has a whole lot of nods back to... Dawn of the Dead 04, starting with the Richard Cheese song in the opening credits. Mm-hmm. That we talked about the scene where they have to sculpt through that building full of hibernating zombies. It kind of made me think of the lab in Resident Evil or the uh, the scenes in World War Z where Brad Pitt is like sculpting through that CDC facility to look for the cure. You've got some 28 Days Later in there. You've got some Return of the Living Dead. You've got some Dawn of the Dead, the original. And of course, you've got some 300, yeah. which 
allowed Zach to kill two birds with one stone and give the people what they want about the uh, 300 sequel and then the Dawn of the Dead sequel. Yeah, this is basically like Zach's version of like like James Gunn Slither was mm-hmm. like a movie that's like filled with references. Like the whole movie is just like one big reference, you know. But it's just like his version of that. So his version of that is a, a lot longer and more epic kind of thing, and a lot more serious and gritty and grim. It's just the kind of fucked up shit that uh, makes me endear to Zack Snyder. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. It definitely kind of feels like uh, Zack Snyder's at the late stage Quentin Tarantino portion of his career, mm-hmm. where he can just make a, a Kill Bill, where it's just a, a what I like to call a movie loaf, where it's just all the like pieces of stuff he likes that he just crams and makes into one meatloaf like movie. Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you've got Dave Batista. He's working as a short order cook in a little diner. He's wearing these glass, these little tiny glasses that look somehow hilarious and also endearing at the same time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, when you see Dave Bautista wearing glasses, you know you're in for a show. That's, that's, a, that's a sign of a good movie with Dave Bautista and his little glasses. <laughs> but, you know, the one thing I like about Bautista is that, number one, he's a gigantic man. We all know mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But he also seems to be willing to kind of look his age, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, he looks great for his age, but the dude is 50 or like 54, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, at that age, you're probably wearing glasses no matter who you are. And that's kind of a nice little touch. It, it helps kind of establish that, you know, he's he's got more going on than just, you know, being a Stallone type dude that he's got some brains in his head. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. And, uh, I really enjoyed the kind of the pulling the team together montage with, of course, for me, the standout part being where they go to the airfield and recruit Tig Notaro. Are you familiar at all with, uh, Tig Notaro? Oh yeah. Yeah. I love Tig. Tig, Tig was, uh, I mean, I was in to see the movie before her, um, announced appearance in the film and there was another actor in there who shan't be named at this moment and uh when they said that he was he was going to be replaced with tig it was like ooh, yeah because I, I i i fucking love part of my first but i fucking love tig. she's great oh yeah she's great my first exposure to her was on there was a short-lived podcast that jeff garland did jeff garland for curb your enthusiasm and he's now on the goldbergs he had a, com- uh, a show called By the Way in Conversation with Jeff Garland, and Tig Notaro was one of his guests, and it was probably the funniest thing I'd listened to that year. Just those two just going off on these insane tangents and and just the way she played off of everything that he said was just so genius that when Tig gets, ele- gets called in to replace uh, the actor who we shall not name, that it was like, all right, this movie just went up a notch in my estimation because, you know, I love, I'm a huge fan. I think Tig is great. And to me, Tig Notaro brings something to that character that you don't get with the actor that you've replaced. Yeah. Because the replaced actor is just, is kind of a sleazier, like if Jason Manzoukas didn't look weird, (laughs) it was just kind of slightly sleazier. Yeah. I liked him before, all of his sex pestery came out, but yeah. um, you know, I feel like that Tig Notaro, after all of the issues that she's had in her life, particularly her health problems, I feel like she just brings a little bit of extra 
well, not necessarily gravitas, but a, a little bit more. I've been through some shit. Yeah. And what if I got to lose nothing? Let's do this thing that I don't necessarily think the other person has. Yeah. Which made her perfect for the part because that's essentially the character. Like she literally says, I hate my life so deeply, you know, and it's just like, take, take is perfect. You know, the, the first hand of I seen is when she, she openly talked about her, um, her condition, her, her breast cancer, you know, the way she takes like such a serious thing like that and just makes it laugh about it, you know, and, and, and it's hard to laugh in a situation like that. But, uh, the way she's able to bring like, you know, or like, cause what I love about her is that she's so dry, you know, I love, I love her delivery. That that dry, just like yeah, you know, and I, I love her strength, you know, and her her courage, and a, a lot of things, especially when she did that 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 special when she took her shirt off, mm-hmm. like yeah, that that's like absolute courage for her, and God bless her, you know. So it it, it was nice to see her like get like you know because she's done other stuff, but uh, to get her like a nice, I don't know if you can say it's a big role because like it's, it's a pretty long movie, and she, like that's one of the things. Um, like a strike, if you will, I'll give like not not to get ahead of ourselves, but like there's not enough of her. There, there, there's 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 a good amount of her, but there's not enough because. And but I think that's just because my bias toward her is just like I wish Tig was throughout the whole thing. You know what I mean? I, and I I definitely wonder if if she had had the role in the first place, if we would have gotten more of her, or if they had to cut some of the previous actors' stuff out of the movie because. They had to go back through and digitally replace him with Tig Notaro pretty much in every scene that Tig is yeah. in. They did a few reshoots that was just essentially Tig and Zack Snyder and occasionally some of the other actors uh, against a green screen. But do because they reshot this part during the worst of COVID, mm-hmm. that it was a real tight set. And since Zack Snyder was the director and also the cinematographer, I... I don't imagine he had a cameraman. I think he probably just picked up the camera and did it himself. He did. How how well do you think they pulled off that uh, actor swap? I think they did a tremendous job. Like, I I think I may have noticed like where she looked digitally, like like and and even then it's it's not really that noticeable. You know, it's just kind of like a like oh yeah, I could kind of tell that there. But there were times where it's just like, like I'm sitting there amazed, it's like. That scene where uh, she's complaining about uh, how important she is in the crew, uh, and uh, as like you know, she's literally talking to Dave Batista, and it's just like I'm sitting in amazement. It's like she's not there. Dave Batista is not talking to her. He's talking to the other actor. But it it looks it blends in so well, and it's just like that's that's one of the things. about even his detractors, you got to admit about Snyder is that. If you don't like him as a storyteller, you got to admit that as a technical filmmaker, he is amazing because, and to pull that off, because it, that's got to be like extremely difficult because you have to match the, the camera movements of scene that you shot, you know, in order to replace her. So it blends in well enough so that you won't notice so to be able to do that with just her by herself and him and like maybe a skeleton crew and in front of a green screen is just extraordinary as far as abilities as a filmmaker. Like I said, if you don't like the man, you got to give it to him. Like, he is incredibly extraordinary when it comes to the technical genius. You know, I, I, I think that's like they did an extraordinary job. It's like I, I have to point out to my roommate, it's like she's not there. Somebody else was there. Dave Batista is talking to somebody else. She's not there. My roommate, she was like, 
Oh, like, uh, I, I had another buddy where they said, how did Tignataro look, you know, being digital in the place? And he was literally like, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> I did not know that. It, I couldn't tell at all. You know what I'm saying? So shout out to Zach for be, being able to pull that off, especially during COVID, because he had to shoot all her scenes and she was by herself. You know, so it, that that's just you know, a tremendous job on his part. Yeah. And there are scenes where, like, she'll be in a shot. Someone else's hair will, like pass in front of where she's supposed to be standing and she's just kind of back in the back and someone had to essentially put that hair blowing around where they're inserting her into the shot it's incredible yeah and the, and the fact that it looks the fact that there's not any issues with like eye lines is amazing because replaced actor if i remember correctly he's like six two or something so he's not a small guy yeah and Tignataro is not tall. <laughs> so so yeah. the fact that it doesn't look like, you know, Batista is talking over her head is really impressive. There's only like one or two shots, like you said, where it looks kind of unnatural. So I thought that was great. That, that kind of leads me to the next thing I want to talk about, uh, which is another pretty fun example of clever filmmaking. What did you think of Guzman of the Dead 420's YouTube video? <laughs> I, uh, it, it, it seemed like something that would exist if that was, you know, we had zombies. I, I would expect to see a video like that. People out here, they, they have no shame and stuff. And like, you know, using, using uh, influences to, to, to make videos where they're shooting zombies. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I bought it. I definitely bought it as something that would exist if, if zombies were real. <laughs> yeah, I've seen enough YouTube videos and enough people on Twitch like your uh, co-host Mac the All-Star that I could definitely see in, in a world with zombies there would be there would be Guzman of the Dead 420 imitators out there and people would just be doing dumb zombie things for clout. And the one thing I like is that the channel itself is kind of goofy but they don't necessarily play that character as being dumb or in over his head. Right. He's clearly like an incredible marksman. Because, like, at least on his video, he shoots, like, five zombies in the head with one shot, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and throughout the movie, you don't see Mikey Guzman as being a joke. He looks like a social media influencer, but he is just as good at this zombie killing game as Batista or anybody else on the team. And they don't shortchange him. Right. It could have been easy to, to make the character, like, a, a goofball, like a poser, like a fraud kind of character, you know, where like, oh, yeah, uh, I could do this. And then, like, you know, he gets there and he's like, oh, you know, um, oh, my videos were fake. They, they weren't real zombies. It was all facts. And, you know, I actually never killed a zombie before kind of shit. But uh, I like that he stuck to his guns. Like, yeah, this guy's really good at killing zombies. And, and he's, he's a really good character, too. I enjoyed this character as well. I, I enjoyed the character Chambers more. But I like I like, I like Guzman a lot. Yeah, I like Guzman and I like Chambers a lot, too. Samantha Wynn. Yes, I did look her up on Wikipedia, and I do see that she has been involved in previous Zack Snyder projects. Like mm -hmm. she did some stunt work on Man of Steel, and that she is a uh, wushu martial artist. Yeah, she was. Uh, she was the star of his short film Snow Steam Iron that he made that he shot on the iPhone. Uh, iPhone like, oh the, the, yeah, the the new iPhone that came out at, at that time that the movie was made, which was made between like you know after. The, uh, the debacle of Justice League in 2017 and before the making of uh, Army of the Dead. 
so yeah, they 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 worked together for quite a while. They're, they're very good friends. I, I like that he gave her a nice little meaty part. I would have liked to have seen her go on longer because she was awesome. But she's definitely probably the the most memorable role in this film because everybody's like. You need to see more of her after this movie. She's definitely a scene stealer, and, and she kind of comes out of nowhere. And she gets some of the coolest kind of stunt work in the movie, and we'll get to that in just a minute when they do the kind of creeping through the creeping through the casino scene. But um, mm-hmm. let's get to the offer that's made and the first appearance in the movie of Hiroyuki Sanada, who is one of my absolute all-time favorites just based off Ichi the Killer alone. He's kind of having a banner 2021, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. I mean, the man is a legend, first of all, like going all the way back to one of my favorite movies, Royal Warriors, uh, with Michelle Yeoh and Michael Wong. Uh, I, I love that movie. And uh, that was back when he was uh, known as Henry Sonata, when they were trying to pass him off as Henry Sonata. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, come off this and, uh, you know, in uh, Mortal Kombat. I mean, let's have one more kind of better. I've, I've really said all I need to say about this, so I'm not going to continue on with here but uh at least you know he you know he was one of the better things about that particular movie mm-hmm. and uh he, he he plays like a nice like little uh slick part in here I, i've heard people say oh he was wasted and like i don't think because he's not just a martial artist he's also a great actor and you know he came into this uh as an actor and for the few minutes he was in it uh he's great he's playing that uh like yeah he's selling them a hope and a dream but he obviously has something to hide and he plays it extremely well. And of course, you know, Sonata is always the man and he always will be. And he's great. He gets to wear cool suits. He gets to hang out in, uh, in, a, in that cool office. He gets to talk to Dave Batista and he got paid for it. That's a pretty good, you know, can't argue with that uh, for an right. actor. And it gets him a lot of, uh, between this and Mortal Kombat, he's gotten a lot of exposure in the West that he ha- he should have gotten a long time ago. And right, right, right. My hope is that it leads to, to, bigger and better things for him while he's still young enough to do, you know, the bigger and better stuff that we kind of want him to do. Absolutely. He seems to have a good time on set because uh, I saw an uh, interview he did. Well, they did an interview with the cast. Like, it was a, on YouTube, a video YouTube, where they were interviewing cast as well as Zack Snyder. And he, he seemed to have a great time and really enjoyed working with Snyder. So uh, hopefully that means we'll see him in, in more Snyder stuff uh, in the future. Yeah, I could definitely go for that. So we end up meeting Kate, who is Mike's estranged daughter, although they don't necessarily go, they don't necessarily tell you that right away. And through her, we meet Lily and we meet Cummings. You know, people, we talked about a little bit that uh, people knock Zack Zack Snyder for being dumb, but I don't agree. He's clearly got a knowledge of films based off of the sheer amount of stuff he's referencing in this one. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's clearly got a love for this kind of genre, and he's even sneaking in what feels like a little bit of social commentary because the character of Lily is essentially a coyote who's sneaking people across a border in order to help them make a better life for themselves. Mm-hmm. Except they're not sneaking across the U.S. border. They're sneaking into the Las Vegas quarantine zone. And they're not necessarily trying to get jobs or citizenship or whatever. They're breaking in to steal from slot machines so they can buy their way to freedom. And then yeah. you've got the the character of Cummings, who's very much uh, who very much lives up to the uh, ACAB. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Border Patrol. I mean, um, that, that that kind of like asshole uh, character. He he definitely plays that. Because uh, uh, Theo Rossi, he's he's a damn good actor. He he's a lot of quality acting roles he's had over the years, and uh, 
he's definitely showcased that, and he showcased that well. Like, you know, he's also in the film briefly, but uh, he, he's a uh, very effective in the few minutes he's in it. Especially his first scene was just like the first time you you see him. Like within seconds, you're like, oh, I want this guy to die. Like, oh, yeah. I, I, I want this guy to die horribly. Like it, it just he, like that slimy asshole-ish quality he, he exhibits just in 15 seconds of his introduction is 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 just fantastic if you will oh yeah he's de- he's definitely a great slime ball and <laughs> uh, and uh, between him between cummings and uh martin the garrett dillahunt character it's like all right both of these guys need to die and they need to die pretty quickly but it just is a matter of who you want to see die worse and who you want to see die slower. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So they get into Las Vegas and we immediately get the first clue aside from the cold opening that these aren't your normal zombies. The bride shows up in her showgirl regalia with her retainer and the normal zombies were all dumb enough to stand out in the desert sun and basically get dried up into husks. But these mm-hmm. alpha zombies are clearly something different. They're clearly something smarter. They're faster. They're more agile. So did the alpha zombie idea work for you? Yeah. I really love the way the zombies were portrayed in the film. Like, you know, that there were levels to them. You know, there's, there's alpha zombies and then you have the shamblers, which are like basically the Romero zombies. I would have loved to have seen like something done with the the decrepit zombies, the the ones that rise when uh, whenever it rains, wasn't mm-hmm. like dried out and they got stuck together. But um, I, I I personally think Snyder has uh, other plans for them. I I don't think he's like oh he wasted them. Like I don't I don't think he wasted them. I think he just he's, he's got something up his sleeve. You know, because obviously, like you said, the, the film was was a big hit and uh, he he already has an idea for a sequel. Uh, as well as you know, prequels uh, in the in the works uh, with uh, uh, following uh, Dieter's character, uh, Las Vegas, which details the outbreak in Las Vegas. Snyder uh, definitely has an idea like going on. Yeah, I, I really love the way the songs were portrayed. Like I really love, you know, I, I think like people saying the movie was too long. I, I don't think it was long enough. Like I would love to see like you know them focus on the zombies a lot more because I love that. I, I really love that. You know, I just, I like, you know, with a, with a genre that's done to them, like the zombies subgenre, you know, and horror, like, you, we've seen it all. Like, we've seen so many shitty zombie movies. Like, you know, I remember on Costa Screams, we detailed, uh, we talked about hard rock zombies for one episode. <laughs> Good God. Wow. You know, it, it was it's yeah. it's like it's the it's the episode we refer to as the Vietnam episode because we have flashbacks. You know, having to watch watch that movie and talk about it, and it was just the worst thing ever. So, like when people like I've seen people complain about this movie, like oh, it's the worst zombie movie ever, and it's like clearly you have not seen Hard Rock Zombies because that is a thousand times worse than anything ever. But uh, like the fact that he took zombies and like he thought about them enough that. You know, to give them layers and levels and all that stuff. And like, you know, there's hierarchy within them. You know, there's ranks. Uh, I, I love that. I love that. You know, just taking the zombie genre and just doing something different with it, you know, because God knows he needs it. The zombies have been done to death. Even Mike was sitting there like, uh, I'm just so over zombies. You know, and it's like, I mean, I'm too out of point, but I, I like, I, I liked it. I like, uh, I like the, uh, what he did. And, uh, God bless him for just, 
doing something different, you know? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know if I'll ever be over zombies, but you're talking to a dude who wrote, who's written about 10 seasons and counting of the walking dead. I did like three seasons of fear of the walking dead. I did walking dead world beyond the, the first season of that. Uh, I've written articles about the Z nation and I've got some ideas for articles about black summer. Did you notice that some of the alpha zombies had glowing blue eyes? Yes, I did. I absolutely did. This was going back to his Zach is a mad bastard. <laughs> <laughs> the man is mad. Definitely, there's one later on in the movie who gets shot in the face. And, uh, like, not only do you see the glowing blue eyes, but uh, also the sparks. Yes. Um, yeah, so it's like, my man has the zombie Terminators in, in this movie. The man, the, the man is mad. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and did you see, apparently, and I, I've missed it, and I've gone back to try to catch it, but apparently in the beginning, there is a shot of UFOs like leaving. Yes. Did you see the? Did you catch the UFOs? Yes, I did. I did. There's two side by side, and one shoots up, and one shoots uh, straight straight across the the sky. And it's like, uh, like I didn't catch it on the first viewing. I caught it on the second one, uh, and, and it's like, good lord, my, my man is already. <laughs> Already, he's like he's starting with the madness, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's taken he's taken pretty much everything uh, from his playbook, from the Romero playbook, and yeah. he also throws in a zombie tiger as if that wasn't enough. Oh yeah, the zombie tiger, Valentine. Uh, yeah, the, not, not only that, but the zombie horse too. Yes, uh, <laughs> the 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 alpha. He, he, uh, Zeus, he rides a zombie horse and it's glorious. You know, it's absolutely glorious. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Okay, so we got to mention it. We talked about the glowing blue. What did you think about the uh, in the shot that most resembled an Italian cannibal movie to me was when Zeus is there with the bride and all of the alpha zombies are kind of clustered around them it it really made me think of not cannibal, not cannibal Holocaust really made me think of kind of cannibal Holocaust in the way that the zombies are kind of shot and how he puts his ear to her belly. That clearly is the international symbol for she's pregnant. Um, Mm -hmm. Did the, did the pregnancy angle work for you? Like, yeah, (laughs) like, cause I will admit, uh, I love fucked up shit. Uh, (laughs) That that was one thing um, I discussed uh, when we discussed uh, on House of Screens. We discussed uh, Dawn of the Dead was uh, uh, Zach likes fucked up shit, and I love Zach because he likes fucked up shit, <laughs> and I like fucked up shit as well. Yes, that was just like how do you explain that there's a a pregnant zombie and she 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 has a fetus, and then you actually Zeus actually reaches into her belly and pulls out the it's a zombie fetus, like. <laughs> It's just it's just extraordinary to explain to somebody, like you know, to explain to yourself. I, I just saw that. I just saw that in the movie. I, I saw a, I saw a zombie fetus, and it was blue, and then it turned like purple, and then he was mad. And it's just like I remember going back to that Dawn of the Dead discussion we had. A lot of people were turned off by uh, 
the, the scene in Dawn of the Dead with the, the zombie baby, the newborn zombie baby. I, I even mentioned that uh, when I was watching one time, my father, when, when I was still at home, uh, my father came in and he was like, hey, what you watching? And he sat down to watch it with me. And when that scene happens in Dawn of the Dead, he was like, was that necessary? And he got up and he walked out. <laughs> he, he was he was appalled. And uh, everybody else was like, yeah, uh, yeah, that scene was too far. And it's like, that's Zach. Zach likes fucked up shit. And everybody was like, oh, but James Gunn wrote it. And it's like, you know, Zach rewrote the script, right? Uh, like, James Gunn wrote it, and then Zach did an uncredited rewrite on it. I, I think you say it the same with the zombie fetus in this one. I think it's safe to say that the zombie baby in uh, Dawn of the Dead 04 may have been a Zach addition to the script. Well, you, you might think that, but James Gunn got to start writing trauma movies. Yeah. he He's no, he's no stranger to writing some really messed up stuff. Because if you haven't seen Tromeo and Juliet in a while, it's insane. Yeah. I, I think, like, if, if, in my mind, if, when, if, if it was in the script, I think if, if James had wrote that scene, he wrote it with intentions of being funnier. Because I know James has a screwed up sense of humor. And Zach probably, if Zach wrote that scene, he made it actually more serious than it was intended to be. Because, you know, Zach just likes grim shit. The name of the man's first production company was Cruel and Unusual Films. Like <laughs> he, he's setting the tone right there. Like when you hear his production company, so you know what you're in for. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. That didn't bother me. It, it just made me think of again. Go back to Cannibal Holocaust, where they cut the lady open and take the baby out and eat it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which Zach must love these cannibal movies because there's. That between that one and the shot of uh, Cummings where they're body surfing him, that is yeah. one, that is one hundred percent a cannibal movie shot. Yeah, because uh, I think I've actually seen that. Seems like very much like a can't remember the name of the movie, but I've definitely seen it in another Italian cannibal movie where that's basically that shot of the guy and they're dragging him down to like chop him up or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that uh, that was a lot of cool. That was cool, and I I wasn't expecting the. Um, zombie fetus removal. Mm-hmm. The, the, I mean, the pregnancy angle, he beats you over the head with it, and that's fine. Zach is a lot of things, but I don't think he's particularly subtle. Yeah. But to me, that lack of subtlety fits with not not just his sensibilities, but it fits with the setting. Like, it's you can't talk about a Zack Snyder movie and not talk about the music, because his music cues are just basically a, right on the nose. Mm-hmm. Pretty much whatever, but Las Vegas is not a place for subtlety. To me, yeah. the more like direct your music cues are, the more Vegasy it feels. Mm-hmm. Just because it's like Vegas doesn't want you to think they Vegas wants you to have a good time, and you're going to have a good time, you know, listening to Elvis and shooting craps and drinking watered down martinis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's funny too because Zach always, like you said, Zach always has. Um, He's, he's very specific, you know, with his, with his music cues. I know that uh, his music, uh, his music choices, the songs in this one also garnered controversy because Zach is damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, uh, with, with his use of, uh, the cranberry zombie. He, he said that he, he intentionally chose that, you know, to just be, be, be weird about it in a, in a way. I don't remember his exact words, but. He, he, he chose it to just be like out there about it. And people like, Oh, he chose that because that zombie in the title. He's an idiot. It's like, yeah, people are fucking weird, man. Like, <laughs> like, like just this, the, the amount of like backpedaling and goalposts, moving the goalposts to just to find a 
way to just hate on him for some reason. It just bugs the fuck out of me because it's like, you know, it's funny how far it goes is that Mike didn't even like the movie, but he mm-hmm. was so, he was so annoyed by the bad takes on this one that he was ready to come out and defend it. Like, <laughs> and that, and that's just crazy. It's like, the man was just like, I, I didn't like it, but y'all annoying me so much, I'm willing to come out in defense of this movie because y'all pissing me off. And then, of course, is uh, Michael Scott from the Dana Butler Show and Adkins yeah. Undisputed, the most complete That's- podcast in the world. That's right, Mikey Eight Hands. <laughs> but yeah, that's <laughs> that's a, a, a really good point. And I honestly, I think that the, particularly the use of zombie kind of, it's about the the troubles in, in Ireland, Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's very much about this war that can't really be won because there's been too much bloodshed on both sides and it's going to be too hard f- to ever like completely heal from. At least and uh, that's my reading of the song. I could be completely wrong. To me, it ties in really well with the ending of this because you get kind of the downbeat ending that we will talk about later. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to defend it in that. It kind of ties in because the, despite the best efforts, there's still scars of the sectarian violence in Northern Ireland. And despite the best efforts of the U.S. government, they have failed to contain the contagion. Uh, yeah. But yeah, speaking of not subtle, Garrett Dillahunt shows up. <laughs> and pre- he's one of those guys that pretty much when you see him, you know he's going to be the bad guy, especially in a movie. That's why I like to call a uh, 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 graduate of uh, the Patrick Kilpatrick uh, School of Villainous Acting. Um, like when you see an actor in a film, you just like, oh yeah, he's going to be a prick. Carrie Tagawa, Kirk Henry, um, who else? Uh, ben Mendelsohn, uh, who else always plays a schmuck in movies? Telly Savalas. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good poll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Dilla Hunt, uh, he, he's, a, he's a fantastic actor, but, and, you know, like me, uh, Mike was talking about this earlier that he, he wished that he would get more efforts or, or opportunities to show off his range because he's actually a very good actor, especially uh, in comedy. Like he's a very great comedic actor, but he always ends up playing uh, assholes, you know, or a secret asshole in a film. And, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, the man's got asshole nailed down perfectly by this point. He, he is actually very funny, even though he was a prick in this one. But, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I like I like Dylan Hyde in it. Yeah, and he basically sets up the, uh, he's, he's who kicks off the, uh, zombie chaos portion because not only does he end up getting Chambers killed because she basically talked shit to him on the, yeah. on the trip in, but, uh, he also is the one who ends up killing the bride or rather taking her head off. Yeah. And kicking off the whole thing and kind of ruining the heist, which until that point has been going really well. Yeah. Um, so that leads us into, the whole thing about Dieter and Vanderhoe in the bank vault with a little bit of Guzman. Those two, for whatever reason, those two characters clicked for me. Oh, yeah. And, and I really had a good time with those two in the bank vault, particularly the uh, where they microwave this, the hand, the severed hand, and they throw it down to the end of the vault to get the zombie to wander down and set off the quote-unquote non-lethal traps that, you know, are darts and then... <laughs> yeah rifles and then a basically a big smasher so yeah yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> yeah i love the two of them together especially Dieter. Dieter was my favorite character in the movie i love Dieter. i was so happy to find out that that man has his own centered around him 
and the, I, I guess the crew of thieves. Because I was like, oh, I, I want more of Dieter. Uh, Dieter is so great, and yeah, especially with the Van Damme, like the their whole uh, romance. Because uh, <laughs> essentially, call it that. Like you know, they they they're obviously together. Gotta, like they, a lot of people say, oh, they got a romance going on. Like you could drop the beat. They're definitely in love with each other. Oh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, I, I love I love the two of them together. I wish um, Perico with Dieter had Van in it because I w- I would love to see the two of them together more often. That whole section in the movie with them trying to open the safe was just really probably my favorite part of the movie. Was just where they're philosophizing with each other. Also, when uh, his uh, discussion of uh, them being stuck in the time loop, mm-hmm. which I definitely wanted to bring up because that's where that's where the movie clicked for me. Because the first time I saw it, I liked it a lot, but I didn't love it. And then somebody mentioned uh, the discussion of the time loop, and um, there was something pertaining to that. And then it clicked for me like that. I was like, oh, yeah, I love this movie. I love this movie. I, I think I love it because, like I said, Zach is a mad bastard. I was like, oh, he's really mad. He he is really, like, you know, power mad right now, you know? But, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, going back to the two of them. I think they're absolutely fantastic. Like they have perfect chemistry too. I, I think they were fantastic. They, they were great together. Yeah, those two are, are great together. Omari Hardwick is great in general. But yeah, man, those those two, and then you get th- sprinkling a little Guzman in and out. Mm-hmm. It, it's that's three. Those are three really fun characters. That's one of the the few uses of the traditional Zack Snyder slow motion is when Dieter finally gets that bank vault to open. Yeah. And I appreciated that because you could tell it's clearly a Zack Snyder movie, but he's not, it doesn't feel like he's leaning on the slow motion as much as he does in his comic book properties, which yeah. is nice. Uh, that's really kind of a, a celebratory moment. I felt happy for Dieter that he, he got to kill his, he got to get his white whale. He yeah. got to crack open that legendary safe and do something that normal people can't do. One of the cool things about this movie is it doesn't feel like anybody there is a weak link. Everybody's got kind of the thing that they do. They've got their specialty. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a, and that's a, a nice touch. And that's a good way to bring over the heist movie kind of set up into this zombie specific world. Dieter's funny and he's, he's, he's screaming and he's a little scared, but he, he does not go out like a bitch. Oh no. He, he sacrifices himself to save his man. And that is not that does not look like a fun way to die. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. It's so sad, but Dieter, I, I choose to believe he he's not dead. Like you know that old thing. You know we don't if you don't see them die, they're not dead kind of thing. You just see the safe close, and and, and it's so it's so heartbreaking when the van was like no, you know because you realize because you know they start off they, they they start off not liking each other. Well, it's more like Van Hill doesn't like him. And then, and then, like you know, the process of opening the safe, they they come to be like such like like really like to the point where like he he tells War to shut up as Dieter is trying to open the safe. Shut up, man! He's working. He he tells his own boy to shut up to to leave him alone, let him do his thing. You know, it shows like how how close they've grown in a short amount of time. So so like when he pushes him in the safe and closes it, and he's being pulled back, and I was like, no, it's just like oh. No, no. Oh, I wanted them to survive together. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, it's a, it's all it's a little sad that they didn't both 
dive into that safe like I kept hoping they would, but they really they really bonded in a pretty quick time. But it, it kind of makes sense because it's like in the beginning, you're like, well, Dieter's just here to be fodder. But then you see him do his thing. And it's like, oh, OK, I get you a lot more now. It, it's he, he's really impressive. And the fact that yeah. he he's the like the only person in the movie who's willing to go with Vandero on the uh, philosophical part of the journey. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can definitely tell that there's a their kindred spirits there. But while they're trying to crack the safe open and get all the money out, the government decides to move the timeline way up for the nuking of Vegas. And Kate has decided to pull a Carl Grimes and has gone wandering off like an idiot in search of her <laughs> friend. And then, of course, you've got Martin who sneaks away and he locks everybody in the casino so they can't take the easy way out and they have to fight their way to the roof. And that leads to Garrett Dillahunt versus... Valentine, the CGI tiger. I've seen a lot of people be really critical of this scene, uh, like the uh, Red Letter Media or whatever was like comparing it to Aliens and yeah. how Paul Reiser and Aliens, how it's just a real quick death, but this one is seems to take forever. I don't feel like it's a fair criticism because we're not talking about an alien. We're talking about a cat. And have right. you ever seen a cat kill a mouse? Oh, yeah. I've got two cats. And after the baby was firstborn we got some mice in the house we do mm -hmm. not have mice anymore because i've got two cats right <laughs> and i've seen the cats cats play with their food cats find a little thing that runs around and they'll torture the shit out of it and whatever it is they're going after whether it's a mouse or a fly or what have you it dies terrified and slow so the whole scene where martin gets slowly batted around and essentially played with by valentine I've seen that in my house, in my kitchen, play out in front of me. And I'm trying to shoo the cat away with a broom so I can put this poor mouse out of its misery. And I was, right. and the whole time I watched it, I was like, all right, that makes total sense. I can only assume that the red letter media guys don't have cats. Right. Um, well, Jay does. Jay uh, is, is a big uh, cat person. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm guessing that uh, he's never seen a cat do that to a mouse. But um, I, I think because I, cause I saw that episode as well, their, their review of it. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely disagree with that. I actually disagree with, with a lot of what they were saying. But, you know, the, that, that's the nature of uh, film, film watching and film criticism, film analysis. You know, not everybody has to agree with things. I, I, I still enjoy their stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was very fitting. He's an asshole character and he deserved a slow and painful death. And that's exactly what he's given, a slow and painful death. And it worked. Because uh, we wanted to see that. We wanted to see him die horribly. And that's exactly what happened. He died horribly, slow, and painful. Extremely painful. That last bite, uh, Valentine essentially bites his whole fucking face off. It's just fantastic. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I really love that part. Like, it's, more, it's one of those, oh, grody kind of moments in a movie, you know? So I, I really, I, I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. I had no complaints about how long the scene was. It also kind of dovetails with the uh, fight where Vandero is trying to fight Zeus off because while Martin is escaping and or getting killed, the zombies are streaming in to get their revenge for the stuff that Martin has done. And you get Vandero basically trying to one-on-one -on -one fight Zeus like Jason takes Manhattan. 
Mm-hmm. And I kept kind of expecting him to get like his head punched off, but that never happened. Yeah. I liked that one-on-one fight. It was a nice, uh, it was kind of a nice break from what you're getting in the casino where it's just a lot of running and shooting. And I also like Batista's fighting with the zombies when they come out of the elevator. Batista has trained in martial arts. Uh, he tried his hand in mixed martial arts. Uh, he's, you know, he trained in Kali, which is a form of night fighting and all that stuff. He said he was really excited to show that off because he never got to show that off in the movie before. And um, cause Zach is very much a person who likes uh, choreography. If, if you watched um, a lot of his movies, uh, Watchmen, he has some fine choreography in there. As well as Batman v Superman, which is uh, an incredible masterpiece the, that is the warehouse scene. Batman floors like 15 people, which is incredibly incredible thing. Uh, I, I love so much. So yeah, I, I, I love that scene too. Like, uh, I love that. Um, I, had a, I had a thing that... Uh, a theory to, to go with that. There's this article I've been working on. Well, I, I started it in 2018 and I just never finished it. Um, <laughs> I, like, which, which, which happens to a lot of articles I write. I called it the price of payback. It was a tentative title. Uh, I was thinking about changing it, but I haven't worked on it for, for a while. So it's just stuff like that. Whereas basically, uh, I was detailing how like maybe like vigilante badass types in a movie like a Paul Kersey and a Death Wish, when, when they make that threshold to like killing bad guys and stuff, they kind of sacrifice their, their happiness in the, in the sense that they can never be happy again. So like, this is why people make fun of how Death Wish has so many sequels and like every loved one of, of his gets killed. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, well, that, well, that's the thing, you know, like, he can never be happy. And every time he tries to find happiness in somebody else, they, they die because, you know, that's the price he paid, you know, mm-hmm. for his his choice in wanting to kill bad guys. And uh, I noticed that I, I kind of uh, I started thinking about that because I kind of felt that with uh, Ward because, uh, you know, the scene where uh, his partner is uh, Cruz uh, Maria and she reveals to him that, uh, oh, you know, I, I didn't come here for the money. I came here for you feeling that she had romantic feelings for him. And then when Kate goes off uh, on her own little mission, he's going to go rescue her and you know, Cruz decides, I want to go with you. And, you know, there's, and she, she pats him on the face and like, you know, he says, thank you. Mm-hmm. And you can see there's that, that acceptance of like, Hey, maybe there is something here. And like, what happens like two seconds later, she gets killed horribly. He, he flies into a rage after that. The zombies comes out, he flies into a rage and you see how efficient, at killing he is like you know we've seen him shoot guns but we never seen him we haven't seen him hand to hand he he's just kills these like like and they're alpha zombies too like he kills them so effectively like he's just ripping them the fucking shreds and shit especially that one where he basically almost looks like he's about to do a batista bomb on he smacks their head uh, on the above the the above and, and kills it and then he turns around and he's like you know he's so like filled with adrenaline he's just uh, 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 and you see like this is this is the choice you made. You know, this is what you made. Like almost like Punisher. Like, uh, have you ever read the the Punisher Born? Um, yes. It's kind of like that. We, you, you know what happened in that? Uh, we find out that Castle during his Vietnam tour had, uh, like, I guess you could either take it either way about it was psychological or it was a real life dark entity that was giving him the choice if he wanted to kill forever and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the the price was his family. The, you know that was the theory like that and going on through uh, Death Wish and all that stuff. And yeah, I kind of saw that in, in, in Ward as well because you know he kills these these zombies and like this this is this is what you wanted. This is the choice you made for. It. And then he looks down, he sees Cruz dead with the tear coming down her eye, and, like, and that's the price you pay. I wanted to be happy. No, you can never be happy ever again. 
And it kind of dovetails with Zeus because yeah. he's not allowed to be happy either. He's got his wife and he's got uh, the baby on the way. Mm-hmm. And he's not allowed to be happy either. He was clearly cre- some sort of government creation that has run amok. He is stuck in the same kind of thing that Ward is where they've got like the one thing that they can, they're good at and that's killing. Yeah. But what I heard, I, I didn't catch it. Probably have to be a keen eye, but her people say that. Oh, I've seen people say that when Zeus escapes from the container, that he looks like he's wearing dog tags. Yes. So he may have he may have been a soldier that has been experimented on. So like, yeah, that would make sense. He's got dog tags and a high and tight. Yeah, most definitely. So he definitely was a soldier. So he definitely fits into that realm where it's like, yeah, he he basically become the personification of death because he is a zombie. But you know, he even through you know the fact that he's dead, he still tries to find happiness. And no, no. This is the this is the price you pay. That's your your happiness is is your price, and you have to pay, no matter what. And I'm not even a hundred percent sure that he's dead. Dead. Mm-hmm. I, I think it could very much be like a 28 days later kind of rage virus. Or the thing that it makes me think of the most is: Have you ever seen Return of the Living Dead three? Yes. It makes me think of that facility that the kid and his girlfriend break into, and then she gets exposed to the uh, trioxin, mm-hmm. and then becomes this kind of, she can still think and talk and stuff, but she's becoming more and more zombie-like as as uh, it carries through her bloodstream or whatever. It kind of yeah. makes me, it kind of made me think of a lot of that. And it also, how Ward has to look at his dead love interest, Lily, uh, when they get to the, finally get to the rooftop after that really good scene in the casino, the running and shooting and, oh yeah, uh, that, I love that part. That thing's a blast. The uh, another good use of slow motion where Guzman is like the cash is just falling all around him. Yeah, as the zombies drag him down, and he pulls the pins on his grenade and blows him up, and and is able to get get Ward yeah. to safety. That that's a really cool shot. But Lily then tries to save all of them by using the severed head of the bride as a bargaining chip. And I'm not really sure why or how she expected this to work. Yes, the head is still alive. I guess, you know, it can still do mouth stuff or whatever. But (laughs) that's, you know, that's essentially you're reminding him, hey, remember your your wife, the mother of your child? She's dead. Look at her severed head. It's still waggling its tongue around uselessly. So I'm not sure why that would be an effective bargaining chip. But I can definitely understand why she gets impaled on his spear. And can we talk about how Zeus is basically a Spartan? He definitely chucked that shit like King Leonidas. <laughs> like, you know, he, he he pitched that shit like he was pitching for the Yankees at the bottom of the ninth of the World Series. Like, <laughs> he, he threw that shit right through her. I was like, yeah, that's some King Leonidas shit. He's, he, uh, he had the, he had the uh, I love uh, when Peter says, uh, was that a goddamn zombie in a cape? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that made me laugh so much. And and to me, that's great because the first thing I remember seeing Richard Citrone, who plays Zeus in, was Ghost of Mars, where he's basically playing another alpha zombie type. Yeah, Big Daddy Mars. And he's kind of the big daddy of Land of the Dead here because he's the leader of the zombie horde. Yeah. Which is another kind of callback to that movie, which I think is is a very underrated movie. It is not George Romero's best, but it is far from George Romero's worst. Oh, yeah. <coughs> Diary <of> the Dead. <coughs> sorry, sorry. I know that's an angel thing to do, but uh, I am I, not a fan of Diary of the Dead. I'm sorry to say. We at the House of Screams uh, refer to it as Diary of the Dead, <laughs> which, which, is, which, is, which is funny, too, because uh, our host Candy, uh, Candy the Final Girl, 
She is a massive Romero fan. She loves George Romero so much. She's an all-time favorite filmmaker. Uh, she loves Dawn and Day more than anything in the world. When when she scheduled those episodes for us to discuss, you know, it was just like we, we knew, oh, those, these are the big episodes because Candy gets to show off her love for uh, Romero. I actually got her to, to talk about Martin because she had never seen Martin. I just wanted to throw that out there because Martin is my favorite Romero movie. I, I love Martin. Uh, Martin's I love great. Him. I love Martin so much. So I'm just excited to be talking about that one. But uh, yeah, going back to the uh, Romero talk, Land of the Dead is, is not particularly, I mean, I won't say it's not good. I'll say it's fine. You know, I, I enjoyed it for what it does. Uh, it's, it's very unsubtle. George, like, had a lot to say and he didn't do it with no subtlety at all. But I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't, yeah, like you said, it's definitely not his worst. That, that goes to Diary. You know, I love you, George, but that Diary of the Dead just blew my day the day I saw it. <laughs> this is awful, George. We leave Peters and Ward flying away, and Kate is going to Zombie HQ to track down her friend Gita. Mm-hmm. And that's when Schrodinger's zombie Cummings returns. Kate proves her worth. She kills quite a few zombies. She kills Cummings. But then they run into Zeus. One of the things I really liked about Zeus was that he has protected his weak spot. He's got that helmet on. Even though she's shooting him in the head, those bullets are just bouncing off that crazy helmet. I don't know where that helmet came from. I don't know how he made it. I don't really care to know. But yeah. the fact that it's a, it's a zombie with headgear on is all I really need. Yeah. I have a friend named uh, Michelle uh, Kisner, who's a fantastic um, movie critic and other stuff. She, after she watched it, she said, um, who knew the most dangerous thing ever was a zombie with a helmet? <laughs> I see. That's the thing I like that he was smart enough to know to protect his head. The the, the I, I like that that they they gave him that much of character that he knew to to he had to protect himself. Like he didn't you know no body armor because you know they can't affect his body. And that's another thing I like too. Like um going back to what we referenced uh, the red letter media to where they reviewed it. I saw a complaint that they had that there's no tension because they they all effectively aim for the head like the crew and they shoot him in the head and that's the the one part like I vehemently disagreed with you know because it's like that's one common complaint I've always had with zombie movies is that they never aim for the head. Like mm-hmm. like even Romero did, did that in his movies where characters like even if they knew to, to aim for the head they would constantly shoot at the body and it's like you're wasting ammunition, you know. You know to aim for the head, always aim for the head. And these characters just strictly aim for the head. Like Batista is mowing down fucking like there's one shot when they, they have the big casino shootout and like he mows down like ten zombies like that because he's aiming for the head. And it's like, yes, thank you. This is what I want to see. The fact that you found that to complain is Jesus, Snyder can't do nothing right, you know. He has characters smart enough to aim for the head and shit, and you hate him for it. What the fuck? And it's not that these are people who don't know about zombies. We've already seen in, in the, the cold opening in the beginning where you see the team originally are like rescuing people at the very last minute, getting them out of Vegas before they close the walls off. And, and that's the whole point of Ward is that he's got some PTSD. He's been through some stuff. He mm-hmm. knows how to take care of himself. He's been through this zombie thing before. They pretty much, except for Dieter, all have. Yeah. And Dieter, I can give him a pass because he's got safe cracker hands. So you know he's steady and his aim is going to be good. Most definitely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't get those criticisms either. But Ward comes to the rescue. Kate and Gita make it to the roof with him. Zeus has been delayed by a, an explosive, which was really fun. 
to watch. Mm-hmm. And then you get the, there's no helicopter when they get to the roof, but then Peters has a change of heart and comes back and, and you get Tig Notaro cracking off a really good one-liner about being torn between her conscience and wanting to save her own ass, which is really funny to me. Yeah, yeah. And it's just enough of a delay that Zeus is able to get up to the roof before they can take off. And then he leaps from the roof, grabs onto the helicopter because it's an action movie. And we get our big close quarters helicopter fight. What did you think about the helicopter brawl? I, I definitely enjoy that, especially the fact that it takes place in the helicopter. I, li- I like the fights in the hel- I'm a big fan of Carl Weathers movie, Hurricane Smith, that has a fight in the helicopter. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm just being really specific now. Um, <laughs> no, because like at, uh, you really get to see that in movies with fights in tight spaces. And like if you do see it, it's not very done, not, you know, very well done. And of course, we've both uh, in agreement that the Zach knows what he's doing as a filmmaker. And, you know, uh, he likes his hand-to-hand stuff. And I, I, thought, I thought it was a very well-done fight, you know, between, you know, because you're waiting for the showdown between Batista and uh, Zeus. The way he, 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 he handled it, uh, I thought it was, was uh, really good. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a really satisfying fight. And it has one of the things I always expect to see in a close quarters fight with a gun involved that somebody, the gun accidentally discharges and somebody gets shot by mistake. And in this case, it's yeah. Peters who gets a through and through in the arm or the, the shoulder. It looks like yeah, is still able to continue to fly until we get our return of the living dead moment, except they're not nuking my hometown of Louisville. They're nuking Las Vegas, <laughs> which is my favorite Nicholas Cage movie, nuking Las Vegas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so they drop the nuke and, Peters, despite the fact that it's clearly a 1980 helicopter, ends up crashing because of the shock wave. And presumably Peters is dead here, which is really sad to me. Yeah, I was bummed about that. I kept hoping slash expecting her to come crawling out of the wreckage at some point after this uh, crash. Ward and his daughter have a very nice reunion here and they kind of bury the hatchet before she has to bury a bullet in her father's brain. I really liked the parent-child relationship those two had and how strained it was Mm -hmm. and how it's not necessarily a neat kind of reunion between the two of them. Uh, Do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's really effective, like especially that scene when when you know that Batista kind of has a a strained relationship with his own daughter. Mm -hmm. And and I just just imagine him using that to, to convey the, the right emotion in that scene, you know? It's it's weird, too, because I see people being continues to be surprised by Batista's range as an actor, and it's like, he's shown time and time again that he's a damn fine actor. I think it's been it's becoming widely accepted that uh, he might be the best actor to come out of WWE. Yeah, it's, uh, definitely like uh, like a lot of people make comparisons between him and Dwayne Johnson. I like Dwayne Johnson. I think Dwayne Johnson has enormous charisma. I really think Batista is the better actor of the two. I think Batista's really just, you know, and I like that he challenges himself. He just doesn't want to keep playing the same type of role. He's even getting tired of doing uh, uh, his Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. You know, he's just like, you know, he wants to challenge himself. He actually turned down the chance to work with Gunn again when Gunn was doing the Suicide Squad to do Army of the Dead, which which is which is crazy because everybody knows how much he loves James Gunn. And uh, when James Gunn was briefly removed from uh, Disney working on the new Guardians, he was very angry about that and just continuously posting about how it was bullshit that uh, they removed James Gunn and he was very upset. 
But uh, when they given the chance to work with him again, he decides like, nah, dude, that uh, I want to do this role because it, it's better. Like, yeah, I mean, it was a better paying role too, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and he he was a lead, and the role he felt was challenging. It challenged him as an actor, and you gotta respect the guy who makes a decision like that. Where it's like, um, plus also he also wanted to work with Zach. He really wanted to work with Zach. So there was that as well. But a guy who said like, he, he, you got his friend over here, like. Hey, come work with me. And he's like, no, I'm going to go do this, you know, because I like the role better. You know, so somebody like that, you got to respect. Oh, yeah. He, he definitely could have taken the easy way out and done the Dwayne Johnson thing. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why Big Dave is the better actor out of the two. Yeah. Cause he is willing to challenge himself. He's willing to take different roles. He's willing, he's willing to show some emo- more emotion on screen. And I, I think that The Rock can do that. And I, I really, really liked his, uh, he's probably my favorite thing about Southland Tales. Oh, yeah. I love Southland Tales. So, and I, I love him in the role. But uh, I remember having a discussion on this on another podcast where we were talking about Dwayne Johnson's roles. And I think he just, at, the, at this point, uh, he feels it easier to just, you know, take the big money roles and the big blockbusters, which is something he likes to do. And, you know, by all means, you know, do what you enjoy. You know, if you enjoy doing those type of roles, you go ahead and do it. Do it all the time. But it's like, I really wish that we'd get those roles where he he did challenge himself, like, you know, Southman Tales and uh, Snitch, uh, mm-hmm. Faster, you know, when he was doing that dark and more brooding stuff. Pain you and know. Gain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely Pain and Gain. He's great in uh, Pain and Gain. He really is. I want he more really of, is. I want more of that Dwayne Johnson, but I, I definitely can't blame somebody for taking up that easy paycheck. Oh, absolutely not. One of the things I really liked about this is, like, Kate is not a teenager. Kate is an adult. Mm-hmm. They are acknowledging that Batista's, like, you know, 54, and Kate, the actress, is 24. It is actually weird to see a, a middle-aged Hollywood man with, like, an age-appropriate child. Yeah, because you, you, you definitely you definitely uh, see that too often, where it's, like, perfect example is a White House down with a... Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum, he still looks like fairly young. Uh, he still looks like he's in his 20s, but he has like a 13 year old daughter. And mm-hmm. it's like, when did you have her? When you were fucking five, dude? Like, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, like, you know, yeah. I, I mean, Dave is still, like, like we were saying earlier, Dave looks pretty damn good for being a guy in his 50s. Oh, yeah. You know? So, like, but it, it's not like, the, the instance where the guy looks too young to have a child is just like, well, he looks good, but you you know he's he's age appropriate, so it's it's not as ordinary that he would have like a an adult daughter, you know. Okay, so we get the parent and child, uh, the father and child reunion, like uh, Simon and Garfunkel sang about, and then we leave Kate in the middle of the desert, crying and grieving. We leave behind Kate and all her dead pals, and then Vanderhoe pops out of the vault. With two big duffel yes. bags of cash, and he makes his way across the radiated, irradiated Las Vegas landscape, and what I'm going to assume is a reference to the Fallout video games, because mm-hmm. it looks like uh, Fallout New Vegas behind him. <laughs> he finds a car, steals the car, drives to Utah, throws down a big sack of cash to rent a plane to take him and his two best friends, the two bags of cash, to Mexico. On Friday, I went to the dentist, or uh, excuse me, on Monday, I went to the dentist. When I went to the dentist, they took those that temperature gun and they took my temperature to make sure I didn't have COVID. I have gotten so many like flashbacks to going into places and getting my temperature taken before I could even sit down from these little scenes. My understanding was uh, this movie was wrapped at least before COVID was a thing. Yes. So 
is Zack Snyder a precog? Is that what I'm getting for this? <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, because that was... Um, I definitely experienced that myself. Um, I just recently had my first indoor dining experience in over a year. And uh, I'm, I'm fully vaccinated, by the way, so um, I guess it's considered okay over here in New York. But uh, they definitely checked the temperatures at the, at the door. And, and make sure, like, you know, all that stuff. So, like, yeah, like, you know, to see that, it's kind of like, oh, Zach was onto something, wasn't he? <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the, the the man obviously had a thing for, for, for time travel and stuff. He did it in Justice League, and uh, he does it again in here with the discussion of the time, which is, which is uh, like like I was saying, um, definitely endeared the movie to me more than, because uh, I said I really liked it, and then when that clicked for me, I loved it, you know, because, uh, like, like I said, he's mad, man. Like, like who, who decides to come up with not just cyborg, uh, zombies and all that stuff. And then just throw in a time loop into a story about a zombie heist, you know, like well, a, a heist, you know, sent around zombies. Cause, cause the evidence is there. The, the, what's the, the Dieter and Vanderhoek come over across the decrepit bodies and they say it's us and if you look closely it, it is like you know it's it's ward it's Cruz, it's peters yeah and uh, this is where it clicked for me for the movie why i ended up loving it was that they was like yeah that uh the the the, uh, the remains of dead Cruz has the same key around the neck that the live one does but then somebody pointed out how that couldn't be because the dead one has three holes in the key and the live one has four then, like, you know, uh, holes can also be known as loops. And then there, there's m- many references to the number four. Where when Dieter shoots the zombie, he says, I shot it three times. And then it was like four, actually. And there's four uh, mechanisms of the lock. And they keep playing with the number four. So the, th- the theory is that the bodies you see were them on the third loop. And what the movie we're seeing, like the characters we're seeing, is the fourth loop. So you think that Vanderhoek getting away only to spread the contagion is at the start of maybe the fifth loop, you think? I, I, I would think so. And also, like, you know, it's, it's to say that, you know, he definitely has the same haircut that Zeus had when, uh, the same, like, you know, crew cut that Zeus had when he escaped the container. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So, so it, it could be like the start of the, 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 the fifth loop. And uh, Zach, Zach definitely may or may not confirm that because when he was posting about the movie on Twitter, he, he quotes uh, Van Ho fighting and dying, fighting and dying, fighting and dying three times, which is kind of subtly confirming that, yes, this, this is the fourth loop. And that uh, we may uh, like we see when we see Van Ho escape is the start of the fifth loop for them. And it's like, you're mad, Zach. Mad Zach Fury Road is what I think I'd call this movie now, because that is a mad son of a bitch, I swear. Crazy son of a bitch. <laughs> and it, and, it, and it's, I like it a lot because it's a good downbeat ending, right? You think yes, everyone's going to get away. You think they've nuked the, the zombies into nothingness and it's all going to go away. Nope. It's the same ending as of like Return of the Living Dead, where they nuked where yeah. I live, and then it all the zombie dust came down and infected everyone else. It's the ending of Dawn of the Dead 2004, where they make it to the island only to be overcome by more zombies that they weren't expecting. Uh, yeah, you don't get the happy ending. You get the it's a bummer. It's a bummer of an ending, man. 
Yeah, I, I think that's the, the 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 one of the reasons why Mike disliked it because Mike is a very someone who very much likes hope and optimism in his movies, and for the movie to end like that, he's like, yeah, this is this isn't for me. You were there too, where he said that he found this movie extremely mean spirited. You and me were in agreement, like, yeah, Zach has done mean shit in this. But uh, oh, yeah. you know, I, I I I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying, Mike. Uh, I, 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 I could definitely see why he didn't like it. I, I, I'm perfectly fine. I'm, it's weird to say I'm a fan of the downbeat endings like that. Like, you know, where it's like the non-happy ending, the opposite, the unhappy ending, if you will. I, I was, I was perfectly fine with it. It's like, how else could you end it? You know, like, it, it was, I, I knew it had to be something like that, you know. Zach is just, the perfect way to describe Zach and like when he does shit like that is when he was, he did an interview where he was describing the opening scene. In the opening scene, there's like a like a like a combat mom who's looking for her daughter throughout the opening credits, and she's killing zombies. With, and then she finally finds her daughter, and they're all trying to get out. She's cruising in Vanderhoe, and they're, they're trying to escape as they're trying to close use the last container to close off the exit. The mom gets captured, and then the daughter refuses to leave her behind. So she goes and stays with the mom, and they, of course die they get crushed by the glass container coming down and when he's describing it uh he's like you think the daughter's gonna away, get away and when she doesn't and when he said that he 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 smiled he's like yeah like you know when you think the daughter's gonna get away and she does it you know it's like oh, okay you know like explaining how the audience feels about this like i see what kind of movie i'm in for now and he smiled when he did that and it's like he, he really likes that shit. He really likes being mischievous, where it's just like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to fuck y'all up today, you know? <laughs> I, I think it is uh, more mischievous to me than mean-spirited, because yeah. he's like the the kid in, he's like the kid in Stand By Me who's like, you want to see a dead body? That's like the vibe <laughs> I get off of Zack Snyder, is like he's yeah. that kid just grown up and worth hundreds of millions of dollars and a, a world-famous movie director. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. But yeah, speaking of downbeat endings, we're going to go ahead and cruise into the hopefully less downbeat ending of this particular podcast with our final thoughts, recommendations, and our popcorn ratings. As always, the guest goes first. And Rob, what do you say about Army of the Dead? I like, is, is there anything bad I can say about this? Like, you know, maybe it takes a little too much from Alien. But I won't hold that against him, so I will give Zach an Army of the Dead extra large popcorn. Fuck it, you know. I I I, I thought it was uh, great. I loved it, uh, especially on my second viewing when like I was able to go back and rewatch it and catch all the stuff I missed the first time. And it's just like, oh yeah, yeah, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. I love it. Extra large popcorn with a little extra butter and uh, extra salt. Nice. I'm going to be right there with you. Uh, not in the extra large popcorn. I'm going to go with a large popcorn, but with extra salt, extra butter. I can see why people have the criticisms of this movie that they do, but I don't agree with them. And a lot of the stuff people bring up as, as their deal breakers or things that bother them don't bother me. I enjoyed the heist element. I enjoyed the team that they built. I enjoyed pretty much all of the... There's a lot of people who I really like as actors who are involved in the film. And I... Dig the I dig Zack Snyder's Return to Zombies. I like him as a zombie movie director. I like him as a genre as a genre movie director more so than like the comic book guy. Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely do, would prefer he stayed doing this kind of stuff. I, I wouldn't mind if he never went back to make. I know people like his comic book movies, but I, I prefer like you know considering what he went through dealing with the studio. 
making those movies and how he was treated. I, I would I would rather him being someplace where he's respected, where obviously Netflix respected him greatly and they let him have complete creative freedom to do what he wanted. And I would rather him be in a place like that than where people are constantly second guessing him and have no faith in him. And the the fact that I forgot to mention this, but uh, somebody else called it uh, this movie Zack Snyder's Wages of Fear. And I was like, close, but uh, I, I think it's more close to if you could call it Zack Snyder's Sorcerer. Oh, uh, it, yeah. Yeah. It, I think it's much closer to, to, to being like his Sorcerer than, than Wages of Fear. Because you're still like, uh, and Wages of Fear, like, all, all, like the, the main character is a piece of shit. And I don't think they're really, you know, in Sorcerer, they're, they're still heroic, goodwill men. And, and uh, yeah. I would definitely call this Zack Snyder's Sorcerer, as well as his Land of the Dead. And, uh, yeah, Zack Snyder's Sorcerer is appropriate for me in referring to uh, Army of the Dead. Yeah, I, I had a great time with this movie, and if you're not completely burned out on Zack Snyder or zombies, I would 100% recommend it, because it is a lot more fun than I think some of his comic book movies have been. Yeah, And I think that he, it seems like to me he had a great time making this, because he got to do whatever he wanted to do. Because I guarantee yeah. you, Netflix was like, here's $90 million, knock yourself out. That's nothing to us. And in the terms of what kind of budget he's used to, that's a small budget. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's not the blank check from Warner Brothers to do a Batman v Superman v, you know, yeah. the Grinch or whatever his next product, his next thing is going to be. I, I had a great time. Uh, I really was glad to see Zack Snyder getting back to grimy, relatively low budget for him genre filmmaking. I would, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I, I would recommend, it. especially to to his, to his fans, you know. But obviously, they're gonna fucking love it no matter what, you know. But uh, I, 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 I thought it was fantastic, uh, especially my second time watching. It, I thought it was really fantastic, and uh, I, I would definitely recommend it if you know people like this sort of thing. Yeah, it's very much a, if you like this sort of thing, this is the sort of thing that you'll like. Speaking of stuff that people like, Rob, now is your chance to plug all of your many, many projects, sir. <laughs> oh, my favorite part. Of course, uh, my baby, The Action Trunkies, where me and my co-host, Mac the Star, we talk action films. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You can also find me and him on The House of Screams. Uh, hosted by my, my dear, dear friend Candy, the final girl, and her husband, Sean of the Dead. To find them at, uh, on Twitter at, at house underscore screams. They don't have an Instagram. The show doesn't have an Instagram, but, uh, you can find all updates on Candy's, uh, personal, uh, Instagram, uh, Candy, the final girl. We also have a Facebook group and, uh, I believe she's setting up a YouTube, uh, account. So shout out to Mike over at Actions Unspewed. Uh, my boy Mikey A. Hands. I just had an episode over there uh, come out uh, regarding Paper Soldiers. Fantastic movie. Uh, I highly recommend that one. Shout out to my boy uh, Michael Cook over at Hit Rewind. Also Daniel Epler at the uh, Cobbler's Podcast and Lindsay over at Schlock All. I got some stuff coming out from them soon. And uh, damn, this is this is the part that I always have because I always got so much shit that uh, I always forget something. Uh, oh, sure. Shout out to Ian over at the Behind the Screams uh, and his crew. Uh, Behind the Screams is a podcast I, I've appeared on uh, a couple of times. Uh, they're a horror podcast and they're fantastic. So shout out to Ian over there. Shout out to my boy Mac the All Star. Uh, he has a Twitch going on, the Twitch slash um, Mac the All Star. His Twitter, Mac the All Star. He's also on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I got to start writing this shit down. I have a link tree. I should have just promoted the damn link tree because uh, all those links are there. 
forgive me, sometimes I, I get scatterbrained when it comes to doing plugs. This is why I hate doing them because there's so many to do. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why for uh, Filmstrip Podcast, all of our social media is at Filmstrip Pod. There's a Facebook group, Instagram, Twitter account. Uh, we do have a link tree, uh, and you can find links to as many of Rob's projects as I could fit into it, and also the Filmstrip link tree in the description of the podcast. I have had a month, a month, a month and a half where I have not had anything to write, which has been amazing. It's been a great chance to kind of catch my breath. Uh, I usually stay really busy over at Den of Geek for whatever reason, because I'm between shows right now, no doubt due to COVID related shutdowns and delays and stuff. I've had an uncharacteristic amount of time off that I kind of needed and also hate, but uh, I will be getting back to it. No doubt here in the next month or two when new stuff starts hitting the TV screens for the summer season. Check out Rob. Check out all of Rob's projects. Check out uh, me at Den of Geek. Make sure you check out the Action Junkies. It is a it is a lot of fun. I really enjoyed listening to that podcast. Thank it's, you. Thank you. Very and, appreciate it very much. Yeah, and we are def and I'm definitely going to have Mac on here. Uh, Mac the All Star on here at some point. And yeah, uh, he, me and him are going to talk some anime. Oh yeah, yeah. That that man loves his anime. You should you should see his his, his house. The, <laughs> the, the amount of uh, Goku and Dragon Ball Z statues he's got lying around the crib is amazing. It's like <laughs> I, I don't know if you have enough there, bro. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, also, can I promote, promote one thing before we go? Yeah. Um, my my boy Nico Nice was also um a panel member with me on uh, the House of Screams. Uh, he has an Indiegogo out right now for his project. Sticks and Stones, which is a, a horror comedy thriller that he's working on. He's been working on the script for years, uh, as long as I've known him. And I've known him for like, let's say, 10 plus years. And fantastic script, got a lot of good actors. But he just, you know, of course, you know, needs the money when it comes to making you know, low budget horror. Mm-hmm. So uh, he has an Indiegogo, uh, Sticks and Stones. Uh, I forget the how you do that, the actual links. But uh, Sticks and Stones, uh, they're at uh, SAS Movie on Twitter, Sticks and Stones Movie on Instagram. Uh, he should have the links up there for, for his Indiegogo. Please, uh, if you can, support, because uh, he's got a lot of really great stuff that he's got planned for that movie. And uh, I just I just want to see the man uh, get to make his dream project. And uh, shout out to him. I hope he gets it. So, uh, yes, uh, if you can, support the Sticks and Stones Movie. Yeah, it's, it's it's always worthwhile to support Indiegogo campaigns, support people trying to make their dreams happen, support independent horror, and you know support support your local podcaster, folks. We celebrities are coming in and taking taking the game over from those of us who've been laboring away at this for in the case of the Film Strip Podcast, three hundred yeah. something episodes. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was over a decade. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember uh the, the, the battle the battleship episode we did with Jay told us that it was his two hundred and ninety ninth episode, uh, which is I guess right before the, the regime change right before you took over. Like right right before you took over. Mm-hmm. Am I correct? Yeah. But I, I guess I kinda hit a milestone in episode two ninety nine, you know. <laughs> uh that that was that was, that was cool. That was cool. But uh, yeah, the especially support this podcast, great, uh, great fantastic podcast. Uh, I always enjoy listening to it listening to Jay and uh, yeah, listening to you like, you know, you've always been a great supporter that this, this was a blast talking to you, finally getting to like, you know, really, really talk to you because we've talked numerous times uh, online and stuff and going back and forth. So finally getting this moment to like really have a nice, good chat with you has been fantastic. Uh, thanks for having me on to, to talk about this movie. I really appreciate it. And just, you know, just hang out with you for a couple hours, you know, 
Yeah, yeah, I, I really appreciate it, and I really appreciate you, man. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate all the kind words. I had a great time, and yeah, uh, I, I don't, I never know how to respond to praise, but thank you very much. <laughs> I had a great time, and we will definitely have to do this again. Oh, absolutely. Uh, usually, the guest gets to pick the movie, not have the movie picked for him, but you, you were okay with it. And next time, next time you'll get to tell you'll get to tell me what you want to do, and we'll do that. But until that time, for Rob, I'm Ron. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.